welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game, and occasionally a 7800 game, and see if that story bites us bad. My name is Bill, this is episode 62. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. Hope life is good for you. Things are pretty good here. It's Sunday morning again. I have coffee. I do not have donuts today, which, as far as I can tell, is the only negative to this lovely Sunday morning. We've got a great game today that I'm pretty excited to talk about, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, the news. I guess this isn't really news, nor is it really Atari-related. Okay, actually, it's not Atari-related at all. But it was an interesting little tidbit I heard on another podcast that I was listening to yesterday called Random Trek, which is a, uh, as you might guess, a podcast devoted to the show Star Trek. Uh, their thing is they do a review every episode of a different randomly selected episode of Star Trek. It could be any of the various Star Trek TV series. There's a host, Scott McNulty, and he has a guest. And each time, like I said, they talk about a randomly selected episode. But his guest, uh, I believe, was Liz Miles, who is known in Star Trek circles and Doctor Who circles for her extensive knowledge of those two franchises. And she dropped what I thought was an awesome bit of trivia yesterday which I'd never heard before. I'm a fan of both Star Trek and Doctor Who, probably Doctor Who more so. For those of you who don't know Star Trek at all, this probably won't mean anything to you, but the very last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the the one from the 1980s with Patrick Stewart, you know, Picard and Riker and Data and all those guys that you may have heard of, even if you don't know a lot about Star Trek. The very last episode of that series was called All Good Things, and Liz says that there's a bit of perceived fan wisdom. I don't know if it's been proven or not. I kind of poked around the internet trying to find it yesterday. I couldn't find it. But she says that the story goes, there's a scene where the characters are looking at uh, like a computer screen. And on that screen is a list of names. You know, anyone who's not a fan of Doctor Who wouldn't catch it, but apparently the... Hold on, I'll be right back. The dog needs to pee. Sorry about that, everybody. The thing that separates humans from canines is that, and the reason that humans are, are, of course, the rulers of Earth, is that canines don't give a hoot about production schedules or interrupting recording sessions. On the other hand, canines have convinced humans to follow them around and pick up their poop and put it in little bags. So... I guess I'm not sure who's come out on top in that little struggle. But we're back now. So, uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, so apparently the uh, wisdom goes that there's a scene in All Good Things, the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, where the characters are looking at a computer screen. And there's a list of names on the screen. And the names are all actors who have played the Doctor, the main character, of course, in Doctor Who, if you don't know that series. I think that's awesome. I would like confirmation of that. Not that I don't believe Liz Miles, but like I said, I poked around a little bit yesterday in the internet, I couldn't find it. If anyone else knows of this bit of trivia, and maybe can point me to a, a screenshot or something uh, as confirmation, 
I would be thrilled because, as you know from listening to this podcast for a while, if you have, if you're a new listener, by the way, thank you very much for checking out the show. But if you've been listening for a while, you know that I am a bit of a Doctor Who nerd, and I, I would be thrilled to have some confirmation of this. Uh, anyway, so let's see. Do we have any actual news? Uh, yeah, we do, actually. When I was a kid, as far as my gaming life went, the thing I liked probably as much as I liked Atari games was the game Monopoly. You know, classic, traditional, non-electronic Monopoly that we played at our house with the variation where you would throw money into the middle of the board that you could collect if you landed on free parking, which is not an official rule. And if I ever went to a Monopoly tournament, which I never have, of course I wouldn't be allowed to do that. But that's what we did. That's how we played it. I played Monopoly all the time with anybody who would play with me. It was my go-to game for years and years and years, which is why I was sad when I read today that Hasbro is monkeying around with the tokens. I saw this article on CNN, uh, money.cnn.com, that says they have thrown out three of the classic game tokens. The classic eight tokens are the little race car, the little Scotty dog, a cat, and I'm going to pause there and say I don't remember there being a cat ever in Monopoly, and I played a hell of a lot of Monopoly as a kid. Uh, maybe we just lost that piece out of our set or something. But they're saying this that's one of the classic eight tokens. And the race car, the Scotty dog, the cat, the thimble, the top hat, the wheelbarrow, the shoe, or boot, and the uh, battleship. So Hasbro did a poll. They gave people 64 choices. The eight classic tokens plus 56 entirely new ideas. This article says that the thimble and the boot have been part of the board game since 1935, and the wheelbarrow was introduced in the 1950s, and the others, I guess, are the classics also from the original era. So they gave the people this poll. They said, here's your 64 choices. Which ones do you like the best? Which ones should we keep? 4.3 million votes came in. Hasbro says they really didn't track who was voting. You know, the, the demographics, they perceive it as being all ages, you know, from 0 to 60 and beyond. Uh, that's me making that up, but that seems to be the impression that they don't really know who was voting or how often or what, and that it was all ages. But when the dust settled, there was a new group of eight tokens. A T-Rex, a rubber ducky, and a penguin joined the Scotty Dog, the hat, the car, the cat, and the battleship. Sadly, the boot, the wheelbarrow, and the thimble are out. What kind of crap is this? I always kind of wondered why the heck there's a thimble in here, but it's a classic, right? It's been around forever. Why would they put a rubber ducky in a Monopoly game? Rubber ducky belongs in Rubber Ducky Town, the new children's game from Hasbro that I'm about to invent. So Hasbro, send me lots of money. Rubber ducky does not belong in Monopoly. Monopoly is a game of of, uh, power and real estate and money and ew wait that sounds a lot like donald trump they should have a donald trump in their game that would be awesome of course the pieces were all kind of silver uh i don't know if they have the ability to, to tint it orange or not sorry that's as political as i'll get it this episode so yeah i i don't know what the other 50 some choices they gave them was but how the heck did Rubber Ducky, T-Rex, and Penguin come out on top? You know, even if you accept that some of the Classic 8 were going to get thrown out 
Why these three? What other choices did they have where these were the three best? I guess in fairness, a T-Rex has as much place on Monopoly board as a Scotty dog and a cat, but I don't know. I'm deeply troubled by this. I'm not sure I'm going to sleep well tonight. The good news is that according to this article, this is the first time in Monopoly's 82-year history that Hasbro has crowdsourced the future of the game. So maybe they won't do it again. God, I hope they don't do it again. The world has seen enough upheaval in the last couple years with celebrity deaths and presidential politics and the fact that I, it's Sunday morning and I don't have a donut. I don't need any more stress in my life. So, hands off Monopoly, people. Oh, boy. All right, shake it off, Bill. We got a show to do. All right, so without further ado, let's get on to this week's game. And what's that sound I hear? That's right. This week on the podcast, we're leaping into the future once again to play an Atari 7800 game. And this week's game is... Robotron 2084, an Atari port of the arcade classic from 1986. When you tell people you're getting an Atari 7800, and I actually just got mine uh, in 2016 sometime. When you tell people you're doing that, they tell you to get two games. Robotron 2084... And the other one, of course, is Amadar for the 7800. Oh, wait, let me look at my notes here. Oh, sorry. I meant to say Food Fight for the 7800. At least that's what people told me. I've actually done Food Fight uh, on the show before. Spoiler, that was the game that we played in our Chris Mystery episode that came out on Christmas Day, episode 49. So go check that out. Another spoiler, I really, really like Robotron. Let's take a look at how you play. For those, the few of you listening to this who don't know about Robotron. Let me school you on how we play this game. Basically, it's a game where you have to shoot robots and save the humans. The first human saved, you get a thousand points. Second human, two thousand. Three thousand for the third, four thousand for the fourth, fifth, and above, five thousand points each. Destroying the Robotrons. Cubic Quark, thousand points. Spheroid, before it hatches embryos, of course. A thousand points. Giant Brain, five hundred. Torturing Tank, two hundred. Enforcer, hundred. Mindless Grunt, a hundred. Prog, 100, and 25 points each for destroying a cruise missile, an enforcer, spark, and a bounce bomb. The manual tells us, in language that you know is serious because it's in italics, so grab a hold of something. At first, it was a technological breakthrough. Humans created the Robotrons, a species of robots so advanced they didn't need their inventors in order to think and act. But the Robotrons have turned on their creators! Exclamation point. They're now determined to destroy humanity, or re- reprogram the survivors, turning them into destructive mutants. Manual tells us to put the game in the system, of course, uh, plug in the controller. You can play this as a one or two player game. Move the controller handle forward or backward, or press select to choose a one or two player game. Move the controller handle to the right or left to choose a difficulty level. Novice, intermediate, advanced, expert, or challenge. I'm realizing now when I did the field report, I didn't really pay attention to whether I was what difficulty level I was playing. It seemed not overwhelmingly difficult, but fairly difficult, so maybe it was sort of an uh, intermediate level. I'm not really sure, honestly. Press either controller button to fire. Oh, that's the other thing. I didn't mention this in the field report, but I'm not using today the uh, regular Atari 7800 controller because it sucks. 
which everybody who's played Atari 7800 knows. I'm using, as so many people do, a Sega Genesis controller with the Ed Ladin adapter on it. Um, if you don't have an Ed Ladin adapter, go get one. But, you know, who am I kidding? You probably do, because it's mostly people like you who listen to my show where I learned about the Ed Ladin adapters. So I'm probably, again, not telling you anything you don't know. You can play Robotron with one or two controllers. For a one-player game, move with left controller and fire with left controller button in the direction the player is moving. Or move with left controller and fire by moving the right controller in the direction you want to fire. Hmm. I didn't try to do that. I can't imagine trying to play this game as a one-player game, but using both controllers. That would be terribly confusing, I think. But I may have to try it now. For a two-player game, player two uses the left controller for moving and either the left controller fire button or the right controller for firing. Press pause to pause a game, press it again to resume play. I keep forgetting that one of the fun features of the 7800 is the pause button, and I keep forgetting that that's there, because I'm so used to not having that. I could have used a pause button earlier when my dog decided she had to pee. Thanks, Bug. That's my dog's name, by the way. Playing the game. Alert! Exclamation point. Recently intercepted Robotron communiques reveal that only a few clones of the last human family remain alive on Earth. Your mission, prepare immediately to step up the counterattack and save the human, surviving humans. Extreme danger. The Robotrons know about you, the only one immune to their reprogramming. They will stalk you relentlessly. Not sure what the reprogramming means. Are the robots reprogramming humans? Because it seems like programming would be a thing you'd do to robots. I'm confused. Anyway, technical data. Your only weapon is your anti-robot laser gun. With it, you can destroy the entire Robotron species except the Hulk. Unfortunately, it's not the Hulk you're thinking of. How cool would it be if the Marvel Comics Hulk showed up in Robotron? The Robotrons attack in waves with different kinds of Robotrons in each wave. A new wave appears each time you destroy all the Robotrons on your screen. Except the Invincible Hulk. They're very careful not to call him the Incredible Hulk, because that, of course, would be problematic from a trademark standpoint. You have five lives, and for every 25,000 points you score, you earn another life and another chance to complete your mission. By saving as many remaining humans as you can, you'll track, you'll rack up the most points. To do this, quickly get clear of the middle of the screen at the start of each Robotron wave, but avoid the corners. Concentrate on wiping out the spheroids and quarks first. Eliminate most of the rest of the Robotrons, leaving a few grunts alive. And pick up the remaining humans before you destroy the last Robotrons. You are the only hope for saving humanity. Good luck. 1623 Moon Base. 07122 Disconnect. There's a whole cast of characters that make up the sort of horde of Robotrons. There are the mindless grunts whose only mission is to do you in. I'd say probably mostly what's on screen are those guys, followed by the indestructible hulks. Alone of all Robotrons, hulks cannot be destroyed but can annihilate the human clones. Your laser gun only slows them down. Avoid the hulks at all costs. The giant brains are launched every fifth wave. The giant brains can electrocute you where you stand. If a brain touches a human, it reprograms the victim, who then turns against you viciously as a mutant prog. The brain also fires deadly cruise missiles that seek you out mercilessly. There are sinister spheroids and their deadly spawn, which is a great band I saw in the 80s. Wait, maybe that was something else. Anyway, spheroids bring forth the enforcer embryos, which grow into evil enforcers. Enforcers heighten the attack by launching enforcer sparks. Galvanizing electrodes. The electrodes block your path, changing form with each new wave. You must vaporize them with your laser gun or they'll destroy you. Cubic quarks and the torturing tanks. Quarks swiftly produce beastly torturing tanks 
the throw off bounce bombs because I'm pretty sure that's how science works. And then finally you have the last surviving family, man, woman, and child. Only a handful of human clones remain on Earth. Touch as many as you can to place them under your protective powers. You know, whatever else you can say about the game, and it's all good, what I would say about the game, but as far as the story aspects, big props from me to uh, Atari for coming up with, you know, a little creativity with the uh, the villains in the game. They give them interesting names, they give them interesting attributes, there's a number of different ones. They could have just done the Berserk thing, where it's just the same Cylon after Cylon on the screen, but they kind of mixed it up a little bit to be different types of robots or different types of uh, enemies to fight that can do different things. So that makes for a more interesting game, a more interesting story. So, you know, kudos for that. As I mentioned earlier, Robotron 2084 was an arcade video game developed by Eugene Jarvis and Larry DeMar of VidKids and released by Williams Electronics in 1982. The game is set in the year 2084 in a fictional world where robots have turned against humans in a cybernetic revolt. Robotron popularized the two-win joystick control scheme, one that had previously been used in Taito's Space Dungeon, which is, I assume, why 7800 recreated that idea of being able to use the two controllers. Like I said, I think maybe it's not so bad when you're playing it on the uh, cabinet, you know, in an arcade, using the, the two joysticks. I remember doing that a lot as a kid, playing in the arcade. But I can't imagine doing it sitting here on the floor next to my TV with the two controllers, you know, one in each hand. It seems very awkward to me. Robotron 2084 was critically and commercially successful. Praise among critics focused on the game's intense action and control scheme. The game is frequently listed as one of Jarvis's best contributions to the video game industry. The cabinets have since become a sought-after collector's item. It was ported to numerous platforms. The developers felt that a rescue theme, similar to Defender, one of their previous games, was needed to complete the game. You know, make it, I guess, more than just a, a shoot 'em up kind of game. They added human families a method to motivate players to earn a high score. Though I'm not really sure that was needed. Uh, the rescue aspect also created a situation where players had to constantly reevaluate their situation to choose the optimal action run from enemies, shoot enemies, or rescue humans. Inspired by George Orwell's 1984, Jarvis and DeMar worked the concept of an Orwellian world developed into the plot. The two noticed, however, that 1984 was approaching but the state of the real world did not match that of the book. They decided to set the game further in the future, the year 2084, to provide a more realistic time frame for their version of Big Brother. Jarvis, a science fiction fan, based the Robotrons on the idea that computers would eventually become advanced entities that helped humans in everyday life. He believed the robots would eventually realize that humans are the cause of the world's problems and revolt against them. To instill panic in the player, the character was initially placed in the center of the game's action and had to deal with projectiles coming from multiple directions. As opposed to previous shooting games such as Space Invaders and Galaxian, where the enemies attacked from a single direction. Yeah, I really like that aspect of the game too. It just chucks you right literally in the middle of a swarm of robots, and that's very, very cool. The level of difficulty was designed to increase quickly so players would struggle to complete later stages. In retrospect, Jarvis attributed his and Damar's average player skills to the game's balanced design. Each enemy was designed to exhibit a unique behavior toward the character. Random elements were programmed into the enemy's behaviors to make the game more interesting. In the summer of 2012, Eugene Jarvis wrote a comprehensive evaluation of the Robotron enemy dynamics. The game is hard-coded with 40 waves, whereupon the game repeats waves 21 to 40 over and over until the game restarts back to the original wave 1, once the player completes wave 255. Robotron was commercially successful, sold approximately 19,000 arcade cabinets and mini cabinets and cocktail versions were later produced. 
The different arcade versions have since become varying levels of rarity. The cocktail and cabaret versions are very rare, while the upright cabinets are more available. It is one of the most collected arcade games, and is consistently higher priced than other titles among collectors. Critics also positively received the game. They lauded the gameplay. People just really, really like this game. The video game crash of the early 80s saw the vid kids disband before creating Robotron's sequel. Damar went back to pinball development, and Jarvis went back to college. Later, both went on to the entertainment industry uh, and had success there with hits in pinball, racing games, light gun games, casino games, and social media games. Robotron 2 remained a forgotten project, never to be implemented. Wah, wah. 8-Bit Central uh, did a Robotron review where uh, the author wrote, uh, I've loved Robotron 2084 for as long as I can remember. However, I know this is a game I never played in the arcades of its time. He likes the unique dual joystick control and lack of buttons. Goes into a long history of uh, what the story in the game is, how the game plays. He says the game is a true classic, released to many platforms. It has also traveled forward in time on a few compilation game discs. He says he has a copy of Midway Arcade Origins for the PS3. He thought the dual analog sticks would facilitate great gameplay, but found it difficult to become accustomed to using both sticks simultaneously on such a small controller, uh, which is my fear as well. Uh, but again, I'm going to try it see how it works. He says, Robotron was ama- an amazing arcade game, and playing it on home consoles reminds me of the savage difficulty of such games from that era. Today, difficulty seems to be more constant across today's video games, but when each cabinet was trying to maximize its token quarter intake, savage difficulty kept play times short and repeat plays going strong. Final judgment, Robotron 2084 on the 7800 really showcases what this game is about. From unique controls to the increasing difficulty, this is my favorite platform for playing Robotron. Mine too, although I really haven't played it on any other platforms. Uh, I don't remember ever playing this in the arcade, although I may have. So there you go. Alright, so after the break, if RoboCop upheld the law and RoboCalls solicit your business or your vote, does Robotron micromanage your Trons? Your hands off my Trons, man. Seriously, somebody tweet at Trump about this. Are you sure we're going the right way? Yeah, it's just a couple blocks down on the left. We'll be there in no time. Or was it to the right? I don't know, let's just keep walking. Oh, it's getting late, I'm tired. Let's just ask directions. Fine. Hey, uh, buddy, could you tell us how to get to 49 Pinewood Avenue? Wait, you're not a human. It's a robot! Run! Ah, I told you we should have taken Uber. Ah! And now Robotron has just dropped me in the middle of the action. I really like this game. It looks great. The colors are great. The robots are cool. Um, they're more Disney animated feature than dystopian, you know, Berserk or Battlestar Galactica or something. Earlier I was playing using my uh, Sega controller with the uh, Edladen adapter. This time I'm playing using the standard 7800 joystick. And as long as I, you know, although I'm not crazy about the joystick, I think it actually works a little better for this game. 
Um, there's the thing with the little projectiles, the, the little X-shaped projectiles. Man, they're relentless. I might be... Yeah, I got one more guy, I guess. Um, finished wave two. On to wave three. which means only one now. That's how math works. Oop. Okay. I'm surrounded by a bunch of hulks. I think that's my last guy. Yep. Back to you in the studio. Robotron is berserk on steroids. It's the last scene of I Am Legend, where, spoiler, Will Smith is trapped in the lab with nowhere to go as the zombie hordes pour in. Robotron is the scene in the MacGyver Season 1 episode, Trumbo's World, where his friend is swarmed by fire ants and devoured. In other words, Robotron 2084 is frenetic and intense in the best ways. It looks great, and there's almost no time to think as you're playing. Non-stop action is what you want in a video game, and this game delivers. So, you know, now that we've spilled our love for Robotron 2084 all over this podcast, it's time to talk a little bit about what maybe is really going on in this game. So here's what I think of when I play Robotron 2084. Another morning begins. Clark takes a huge swig of coffee. It's cold. He's already been hard at work, and there's no surprise there. He knew as soon as he awoke early this day, before he'd even opened his eyes, that this was going to be a bad day. No surprise there either. Every year, today, this day, is the biggest day and the worst day of the year. Clark would enjoy, attempt to enjoy, several half-finished cups of coffee that would be abandoned because of too much action before this day was over. But duty calls. He gets into position. Lock and load. Take no prisoners. Keep focused, and there'll be no surprises. Clark is trained for this. He can deliver the goods. Clark the Clerk, they call him, and for good reason. If you need the deal closed, he's your man. Someone goes and unlocks the gates. It's go time. Everyone is on edge. The music in the background doesn't really help. Clark makes one last check of his equipment. Everything's in order. Badge in place, gun at his side. Once the gates are up, there's the briefest eerie quiet. Then, as expected, a group of robots appears. Slowly at first. As they enter, everyone is tense, but professional. Clark's team is the best, which even the regional higher-ups have to admit. They should be the best. With so few humans left, there's safety in numbers, so you don't want to have to give the higher-ups an excuse to throw up you to the mutants. But then more robots show up. And more. And more. The mindless grunts mostly just browse. But the giant brains are a pain. Literally, with, with all the electrocuting. Soon the perimeter's crawling with them. The others, his brothers and sisters on the front lines, are freaking out. Their training's abandoning them. But Clark, he stays cool. The robots don't affect him. He's immune somehow. Mostly, he's just annoyed his coffee's going to get cold again while he deals with this mess. Clark unloads his weapon. 
the effect is immediate, dramatic. The robots seem drawn to it, somehow. Metallic moths to the digital fire they are powerless to resist. Down the line, Clark's comrades do the same. Leave them powerless to resist, and the robots will buy whatever it is you're selling. The siege lasts a full day. The last robot staggers, bewildered from the store. Stocks are depleted, and the area is strewn with debris. The remaining electrodes spark, but fail still. A torturing tank weeps silently in the corner. Clark chugs the most recent neglected coffee. Or maybe it was the first one from early this morning. Either way, it's cold, of course, but the chill is revitalizing now. The day was a success. Clark the clerk knows a day like this will come again, but he has a year to prepare for it. But then, Clark, his CO says, we need you to do another tour of duty. Clark groans, but he knows the truth. The battle isn't really over. Seriously, people, Black Friday is just one day. You can get sales other times. You can shop other places. You don't need to redeem those gift cards all at once. Pace yourselves. We're tired. But then the store sinks into a crater swallowed up for all eternity, and the human species is wiped out. The remaining robots linger a bit, sort of confused. Oh well, there's always Cyber Monday. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, of course, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and iTunes, of course, where you should follow the mutant hordes and leave a review. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise, including our new, well, new-ish, uh, go play some old games they've missed you, t-shirts. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Uh, and please do, drop me a line. Tell me what you think of the games we've been playing. Tell me what you think of games we should play. Talk to me about Star Trek, or Doctor Who, or games in general, or had what you had for breakfast. Just let me know what's going on. Uh, you can even send me an audio submission if you're so inclined. You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. We talked about one or two classic Peanuts TV specials or films every single month, and new episodes drop on the 15th. Do check that out. Whether you've watched a Peanuts special since you were a kid or not, even if you just have fond memories of Charlie Brown and the gang. This is a show for you. Next time on Atari Bytes. Baseball season is looming, so we're playing the game Home Run for the Atari 2600. Yep, that's a thing we're going to do. Batter up. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,